You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will be joined by my co-host, Alex Varallo, uh, here very shortly. And we'll cover the uh, the latest news, of course. The big news, the thing that everybody's talking about, is Sam Darnold being cleared for contact. So Sam Darnold ready to get back under center. And, of course, because of the type of season this has been, that news was then met with the news today that tight end Chris Herman, who was due to return from his four-game suspension, was week-to-week with an injured hamstring. I uh, can't imagine a guy who just, well, I think they said Friday, Herndon injured himself Friday. So he hadn't even practiced with the team yet. It was because of his suspension, he wasn't eligible to practice with the team. Was doing some route running on his own on Friday. His first practice would have obviously been this week. And he pulled a hamstring. And, uh, Alex is here with us. Alex, how are we doing, buddy? Hey, good evening, Glenn. How are we doing, Jet Nation? Well, Jet Nation, Alex, I would imagine it's uh, it's uh, we're a bit polarized at the moment because on the one hand, we're psyched that Sam Arnold is ready to come back. Uh, and then the Chris Herndon, a guy many of us viewed as a player who is going to be a huge difference maker in this offense as a, a guy who could block and catch in the uh, in the passing game stretch the field a little bit is now week to week. I don't, I'd be shocked if we see him play. I, Adam, uh, Adam Gay said this is a legit hamstring issue. I uh, can't see a guy getting cleared five, four or five days after that. So whether or not he's active, we'll see, but obviously Donald is the big story. How, how are you feeling Alex with, uh, with these two pieces of news coming out? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of that one step forward, two steps back. Um, if the Jets didn't have any bad luck, they wouldn't have any luck at all. Uh, it's good to hear that Sam's been cleared, and that's definitely a positive. And most unfortunate that you know Herndon just gets this little injury, and this is something that can linger very much like what C.J. Mosley's going through. A lot of people thought that he would be healed and ready to go by now. Uh, these lower body injuries and in, in these critical areas. Uh, you know, they they linger, like I said, and they're something that it can immobilize you uh, completely. And it's something that you have to – it's a very delicate situation that you have to deal with. And the only way to heal these things is just time and, and treatment and not trying to aggravate those particular muscles. And unfortunately, it looks like, you know, we're going to have to take this week by week with Herndon and, you know, we really could use a boost in this offense. And I think that this was one of the the big missing pieces that, that we've been very desperately needing over this last few weeks. And we took another hit on our roster. So we got to move forward and hopefully he can get healthy soon. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the Mosley thing is, is one of, surprising things because if you remember Alex and I'm sure we've already mentioned this in previous weeks 
leading up to the Cleveland game, they said they were feeling good, like they thought he'd be ready to go against the Browns. Now here we are, what, going on four or five weeks later, and he's not even practicing. I mean, I mean, there, there's there's being there's getting it wrong, and then there's like, what? How, how do you miss by that much to say that this guy's going to be ready to roll, or you know, you feel good that he'll be ready to go in a couple days, and here you are, sort of twenty five days later, and he's not he's not even practicing. I mean, Jesus, from he's going to play in a couple days to. A month later, Sorry we can't that. put him on the field. We still can't let him out there to, to run around and practice. It's, it's I don't know. It's uh, Somebody dropped the ball on that, and it makes the team look like a bunch of idiots because you're talking about clearing a guy who uh, was obviously nowhere near being ready to play. So that's where, that's where they stand with that right now, and it's, it's frustrating. You know, I mean, we were, Alex, we were so excited coming into this season because of all the additions, you know, we're expecting Donald to make the one to, year one to year two leap. You add Mosley, you supposedly upgrade the O-line. And it's just, they've literally played with a full roster for two quarters. And they led 16 nothing, and haven't had a lead since. It's, it's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. I'd love to see this. And, and now, you know, as we said, the Herndon thing. So you're like, oh, we're getting closer. Maybe once Mosley comes back, that'll be all the big names back in the lineup. And then, uh, then the Herndon thing, the hamstring. So it's just uh, not, a, not a really good season for so many different reasons. But this, uh, the injury situation is, is just so frustrating. But as you said, you know, you move forward. This team has to be ready to roll. They got Dallas coming up, a game that uh, I think, well, the Herndon thing changes it a little bit. But just having Darnold back. You know, it, the chance to to turn things around. And, and I, I saw a comment that you made earlier on Twitter, Alex, that I wanted to talk to you about. The um, You seem to have a problem. Uh, I don't think we disagree here. I think it's sort of to what degree. Uh, people saying Adam Gase has no excuses now with Darnold being back. Wh- wh- where do you stand on that? Yeah, you know, I think that some people have had an agenda since day one when he was hired, uh, not giving him an opportunity, not giving him a chance. Uh, has his game plans been ultimately effective? Uh, obviously not on an offensive standpoint. We have not looked anything remotely to a professional NFL offensive team. So, yes, there's there's plenty to debate to say that Gase is, is the – nucleus of all the problems that are going on with this team, but I'm not narrowing it down in, in, on him exclusively because we had some really, really big issues prior to Gase coming into this team uh, with, the, with the former head coach and the former GM uh, making poor mistakes, not addressing particular needs, um, sticking to, you know, their agenda, uh, no matter what, um, and it created major voids um, on this team. And for whatever reason, uh, we've gotten by with particular players. Uh, we've had poor records consistently throughout the last few years. And my whole point was is that if I was able to endure 
the poor decision making by Mike McCagnan and the poor coaching by Todd Bowles for four years, then I can definitely endure Gase for one season. And after four games, I'm just not going I'm not ready yet to point the finger exclusively at him and put everything onto him. Um but then again, like I said before, there's definitely plenty uh, that that we can debate about and say, okay, what about his game plan that he had against New England? Or what about the game plan that he had against the Eagles this past week? Um, obviously, uh, they were not effective enough to, to look anything relevant in far as, you know, football uh, is concerned. So I completely understand where some people are coming from. But to set this mandate that, you know, if we don't go in and, and whoop the Cowboys at home this week, that he should be fired, I think that's ridiculous. Um, I think we need to assess this team when some of the guys get healthier and the players that are supposed to be starting in particular positions are actually playing and contributing. I think that's how we can uh, judge this team and judge Adam Gase as the, as the new coach. So... I'm just not ready to, you know, put the stamp or put the label on him as a, as a poor decision as of yet. Um, but if we continue to see things go and trend in the direction that they have the past few weeks, uh, yeah, I might change my, my perspective on the situation here, but I'm, I'm just not ready yet to, you know, slander the coach when he's had injuries at nearly every position that you can, you can imagine on this team. Um, and not to mention he, he did have uh, a little bit of trouble with the, with the front office throughout this process. You know, they fired the GM, they, they give him an interim job and they bring in a guy that everybody seems to love. Uh, he made a couple moves. Everybody was really loving it. But now when we're looking at how this has unfolded, we could even go back to say, was Ryan Khalil the right decision? Was that the right money that we needed to spend with this team? Did we upgrade or downgrade the center position? You know, there's a, I think it's a collaborative mix of injuries, some poor decision-making. Uh, yes, there has been some poor game plans, which results to coaching. So I just think it's a cocktail of, multiple things that have put us into this 0-4 situation today, and I'm just not ready to be one of those people that exclusively point the fingers to one person. You know, I think my tweet said, you know, it's a team sport uh, unless if, you know, you're anti-Gase. And in those terms, then everything's his fault. And that's what I've been seeing consistently throughout the last few weeks, and I just don't think that's fair personally, but yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's not fair to put it all on Gase because the you know the the obviously the talent isn't where you would want it to be. I mean, the, the talent to me is better than, than obviously better than the results and then what they're getting. Not having Donald in there is obviously a killer. And I think you know the, the thing two big things to me. Um, as frustrated as I've been with Gase, and I've said he's got to be on a short leash. And you know, and and you know what I mean by that is if. We don't see, and I, a lot of people have said this, you know, when Donald comes back, and that this was when we all thought Herndon would be back at the same time, if we don't see a dramatic improvement in the offense. I mean, it, it's not so much about beating the Cowboys or beating the Patriots. 
in the, you know over the next couple of weeks. But this this completely inept, lost, you know, unable to move the ball offense to stop. And you know, and I get, you know, yes, there are injuries. We've talked about that, but. To be, it's it's not like uh, Adam Gase has injuries and because of it, his offense is ranked 19th or 20th in the NFL. It's 32nd. Like, nobody worse. And there are a lot of teams playing with backup QBs who are putting up a lot of points. So, and, and you know, the whole – my thing with, with Luke Falk, I mean, he looked terrible last week. There's no defending it. It was as bad a performance as you'll ever see from a quarterback. He was atrocious. The, you know, you saw a tweet from Brian Baldinger. You know, I saw you comment on some stuff earlier. You know, and when I went back and watched the All-22, there were guys who were open. And this guy wasn't pulling the trigger. Absolutely. As much as we talk about how he doesn't have time to throw. Listen, I, showed, I, I went through it last week. I went back and watched that game. I timed every throw. 50% of the time, he had – and I'm, I'm glad Brian Baldinger said it because I've had people get on me. For, you know, when, when Baldinger did his break. So in the NFL, you get two and a half seconds. That's how long you can expect to make a throw. Sometimes you get more. That's great. But if you can't pull the trigger every two and a half seconds, it's not really on the offensive line at that point, especially when guys are wide open. And that was the case with Falk quite a bit. So then the, some of the blame, a chunk of the blame, has to go to Luke Falk. That being said, Luke Falk is a guy that Adam Gase brought with him from Miami. So Adam Gase had Luke Falk system for a year with the Dolphins and thought he was good enough to bring a lot. I mean, everyone's telling me, and I, I'm not sure I would be able to disagree at this point. People are telling me Luke Falk does not belong in the NFL. He's not an NFL quarterback. He's never going to be good. He doesn't belong in the league. Okay, we're going to make that argument. Why didn't Adam Gase recognize that? Because Adam Gase is here to watch him. And if, if we as, as a novice, as a fan, some guy sitting on the couch, if we know after a game and a half that he's not an NFL quarterback, why did it take Adam Gase a year and a half to realize that? And I get that he's the third guy, but and he's a guy that I liked out of college. I liked the mid round pick. He did some good things in college. Super high completion percentage, around 68, 69% completion percentage. Didn't turn the ball over. Didn't have a huge arm, but not every quarterback does. You know, I viewed him as a mid round developmental guy. And Will he ever be a good quarterback? It certainly doesn't look like. But I'm also not going to all these people like, you know, who know after six quarters of football that how, how many guys would be in the NFL if you cut every guy who looked bad after six quarters? You know what I mean? It's, it's, this, it's mm-hmm. the same line people that are getting on Quinn Williams because he doesn't have 16 sacks. You know, you're talking about a rookie D lineman with a half a game of, of NFL football on his belt. In his second ever game, he's going against, you know, multiple pro bowlers on that offensive line with the Eagles. A few QB pushers, a few things that, that jumped out. You say, okay, those are the reasons why they drafted. But I see people blasting Quinton Williams on Twitter because he didn't, he didn't move things up at game number two facing all pro players. Absolutely ridiculous. So, it, it, it you know, I'm straying from the point here a little bit with, with the Gase situation. But I, I think the main thing with Gase is it – you can't keep being terrible. Like that's what there's no excuse for. You can if if you're not winning games. I mean, they should they should win a fair number of games down the stretch because the schedule is uh is, is a bit of a joke at times. Between the Redskins, the Dolphins, a couple times they they have some, and I know those teams, the Jets, thinking the same thing. But 
the Jets have the Jets record what it is because in part of that model, Luke Falk was playing quarterback. Like that that's that. So Adam Gase can't get a free pass if they keep losing games and they keep scoring ten points a week, six points a week. Like you now have a guy and, and I we talked about this, I did an article on it the other day. If Sam Darnold goes, you know, continues to play the way he did late last season and to a degree, you know, at times against Buffalo, it's gonna open things up. Defenses aren't gonna have eight, nine guys in the box. This offensive line has been really bad. No that no denying it. But you're gonna be an offensive line is gonna look worse no matter how good they are, they're gonna look worse when there are more rushers than blockers. You're going to look worse when the quarterback doesn't have the respect of the defense and they just pin their ears back on every snap and get after it. If Sam Darnold connects on a few passes down the field, teams are going to have to back off. They're not going to have a choice. And then that opens things up for the running game a little bit. And then instead of having to block seven rushers, maybe you're blocking five. And that's not the same where these guys haven't been getting beat one-on-one. But th- there should be a domino effect here. That you know, That's the expectation. Okay, you have – I mean – that, the tweet I mentioned earlier, Alex, the one with, you know, and, and there were many of them, where, where there are three, four guys wide open, and Luke Falk just holds onto the ball for two and a half, three and a half, four seconds, and takes a sack. If that's Sam Darnold, and he's Sam Darnold, those are completions. Those are, those are drives that are like, and here's a stat, Alex. I'd actually, I, I forgot, I did. I, I tweeted this to you, the Rich Samini stat, that I, if, away and I and to me this was the best number the, the if you could take one thing you know this conversation it started about Adam Gase if you can take one thing to, to show that Adam Gase is being unfairly criticized brushing aside the fact that he brought a bad quarterback with him that brushing that aside just in terms of play calling and design ESPN Next Gen Stats, which uses technology to track every single player's location on the field, they track the, the, the frequency with which a targeted receiver is open with their definition of open being at least three yards separation from the nearest defender. So the Jets with the 32nd ranked offense in the NFL rank number one out of 32. Number one in the NFL. No team in the NFL has targeted receivers open more frequently than the Jets. Now, a lot of that is a heavy dose of that, I'm sure, is going to be if they're including these swings and screens. But even still, if you, if you look at the film, guys are open. The plays are there. You can't put that on Adam Gase. You can't say Adam Gase is often – I mean, the, the, don't get me wrong. He's done a lot of things, you know – when that game started the other day in that first drive, run up the middle, run up the middle, it's like, oh, here we go. I mean, start the game with a – I mean, what I'm hoping we see against Dallas, play, first play of the game, play action and throw a bomb to Robbie. And let's see a damn play out of this offense. But I don't know how how anyone can say that this, you know, that, that this offense hasn't been greatly impacted by Adam Gase. But I also don't think you can dismiss the fact that, he, you know, he's, he's going to battle every week these last few weeks with a quarterback that he brought with him from Miami in Luke Falk, who, uh, I mean, let's face it, th- that guy, he, he, he may not be with the team much longer. I don't know if David fails is any better. I said on last week's show or the week before, I forget. I'm a, I'm a, I was a huge Mike White fan coming out of, uh, coming out of college. 
Western Kentucky. Whether or not he pans out, who the hell knows, as a backup or whatever. But either way, I do agree, Alex, with your point. You can't 100% say this is Gase. But I do. I also agree with those who say that no more excuses for having a completely inept offense. Like you, you have a functional quarterback. You have you have a guy who's better than functional. You have a quarterback who, despite the circumstances, should be able to produce a functional offense. And speaking of offense, Alex, what were your thoughts on Alex Lewis? His first start as a Jet at left guard for the injured uh, Calicio Semley. What were your thoughts on Lewis? He uh, he had himself a pretty stellar game in my eyes. Yeah, I think out of the entire offensive line, he was probably the he played the best the best out of all of them. Uh, I know that he got some good ratings as far as PFF is concerned. Uh, you know, and it, it just brings a point that I was talking about with uh, a friend of mine the other day is that I would much rather see a healthy backup who's hungry to get after it and and try to earn a spot and do everything that that they physically can to do their job from an offensive lineman's position than go with you know an older pro bowl caliber player who's working through a nagging injury and is maybe 80 to 85%. Uh, that doesn't work for me. Um I don't think that that's a healthy remedy to protect your quarterback. So I like the decision that they, they tried to mix things up a little bit. Um, I am curious um, about what the situation was with Brandon Shell. Um, if he's dealing with an injury or if that was a demotion, I uh, didn't really get to see anything too much about that. Not, not a lot of people have been talking about that. But as far as Alex Lewis is concerned, uh, if he has the ability to do his job and, and he's understanding the, the offense and the scheme and, and, he could pick up the, those key assignments when they're doing their uh, breakdowns at the offensive line um, or before, you know, they, they snap the ball at the line of scrimmage and I'm comfortable seeing him moving forward. Um, now it's interesting. Um, and I'm glad we brought up Alex Lewis is that some people uh, decided to uh, throw in some comments saying that there's, you know, there's no way that he could go from left guard to right guard. Um, it's like, you know, using, you know, somebody used a, a toilet reference going from your right hand to your left that. that was actually pretty funny. Um, I don't know that I agreed with that. I got a good laugh reference. out of it. I'll be a, I forgot who you are. Sorry, I'm not crediting you. That was very funny. I did get a good laugh from that. But at the same time, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, so you're telling me that a professional athlete whose job is to play football, who's probably at one point in time been moved around from where, you know, peewees are concerned up into the professional level, you're telling me he doesn't understand the right guard position. Um, and then I think I, I even commented with that when I, I believe that Brian Winters was actually deployed as a left guard when he first came to this team, didn't really do too well, and then found his home on, as a right guard when they signed James Carpenter. So it's completely possible for one player to go from one side of the line to the other. Um, I just kind of thought that was kind of funny how some people thought that that was that wouldn't be a lucrative move because if Coletio Assembly is healthy and he can compete and, you know, the, the rest that he's had um, from the bye week and, and missing last week's game, if, if that two weeks is, is enough to get him to play this Sunday and, and he can play well, I don't want to see Coletio Assembly not building chemistry with this line because we, we need him to play at his best level. Um, 
which leads me to Brian Winters, who's been struggling mightily. And we know that he's a tough son of a gun and will play through injuries. But is he going to hurt Sam Darnold by playing through an injury and not being able to do his job? And if he's not injured and he's playing at this level that he's playing, then I consider Brian Winters to be a liability as of right now. So I'd much rather have somebody that's healthy and that's got their head on a swivel and will do their job effectively. So that's where where my kind of mind is leading toward is protect Sam Darnold at all costs. Um, I don't have any loyalty to to any of these offensive linemen. Um, so and, and neither should Gase or neither should Joe Douglas uh, because this isn't their team. They're they're kind of putting things together on the fly as we've seen throughout the last couple of months. So at this point, if Tom Compton is looking better than Winters or if Alex Lewis is playing well enough to where you want to give him an opportunity or even Jonathan Harrison. Um, Jonathan Harrison has played guard before, believe it or not. Um, he is a center and he is a guard. And I would not mind seeing him get some reps at all. I was actually kind of surprised with the way that the game was going uh, that he didn't get to finish that game out. Um, I definitely feel that uh, maybe Tom Compton and uh, Jonathan Harrison should have played the last fourth quarter of that game. Uh, when, and I, I think they did pull Falk at one point, too, for the last few minutes of, in one of those last series. But how are you going to know uh, how we could improve this team with guys sitting on the bench? You'll never know. So the only way to find out is to get get those guys out there. So And Adam Gase did say – Put the best guys forward. Yeah, Adam Gase did say that he uh, he's still shuffling the offensive line, so we might see more changes this week. Uh, you know, one encouraging thing, I thought Ron Khalil looked a little bit better than he has in recent weeks. So you hope maybe he's getting himself back into football shape to where he'll stop being such a liability out there. Brian Winters, I said a million times during the offseason, Alex, I thought Tom Compton would push him for that starting job. And the way he's playing right now, you, you kind of wonder why he has that starting job because he's been he's been bad. He really has. He got beat up pretty good. And, yes, Jonathan Harrison has played. He has played uh, left guard and right guard. He's played center. He's played, you know, basically every spot on the interior between his time with the Jets and the Colts. So that would be, you know, it, it's, I think they need to look at everything, especially, listen, if Ryan Khalil is coming along at center and they feel like he's going to be, just at least solid. And Jonathan Harrison can be an upgrade over Brian Winters at right guard, or if Tom Compton can be an upgrade, go for it. You know, Tom Compton, I think I heard a lot of, and I know you mentioned the Brandon Shell thing. I heard a lot of people saying, why in the world would you bench Shell? Um, you know, a uh, demotion is fine, but you need a right tackle. I think they just looked at it that, you know, is, you know, yes, it's football. Yes. Injuries happen frequently, but in all, how often does a guy get knocked out for the game? And if that had happened to Chuma Adoga, Tom Compton has played right guard, right tackle before. I mean, he's not, he's obviously not a great right tackle. Otherwise he would have gotten big money in free agency to be one, but neither is Brandon Shell. So it's like, all right, on the off chance Adoga gets knocked out. We've got a guy on the bench who's played right tackle in the, in the past. And I would imagine that, that would have been the, back, the backup plan would have been for Tom Compton to do that. But there's, there's no denying that Brian Winters has been absolutely brutal. And that, I mean, the O-line, 10 sacks. But to, in my mind, as, you know, I agree 
I disagreed with FF. I think they said I think they said uh, two or three of the sacks were on Falk. I thought I thought it was worse than that. I mean, he was he, he just he held onto the ball so long on on a lot of plays. You know, I didn't. I'm almost tempted to go back and and do the same thing I did last week and chart and see how many times he had adequate time to throw and and didn't because it was it was not a good look for him and it just it it stalled them out. I mean, there there were several plays. Even you didn't even need the all twenty-two. You know, I'm watching the broadcast and he drops back, and I'm just thinking, someone has to be open by this point. Between Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder, Le'Veon Bell, like you have good players, somebody's got to be open, or at least open enough that you try to put a ball in a spot where only that guy can get it and make a play. But this sitting back, double clutch, hold on, hold on, boom, sack. That you know, and the, and the, the you know the check down, two or three guys open down the field, and he checks down to Le'Veon Bell. So I think it's been ugly. Uh, and again, the hope is that that all changes, and we'll find out, you know, soon enough. We got a few days till we find out. But let's let's take a look at the uh, the injury report in full, or we'll just look at the guys who didn't practice today. Henry Anderson was came out of that game with an injury um, against the Eagles. What was it? Not not, not a, it was a. A strained, what the hell? I can't think of what it was now. I want to say it was a shoulder, right? Uh, Trenton Cannon got an ankle. Uh, Harrison was out, and that that was another story. People were like, why is Tremaine Johnson back on the field? And, uh, I mean, he's just just such a waste of a roster space. You can't cut him because of the cap hit, and he doesn't belong on the field. Mosley, obviously, the big story, and Osemele, once again, didn't practice. So, yes, I would imagine they are moving some guys around along that line. But one, one thing that jumped out at me, Alex, um, once Henry Anderson went out, we saw, we saw some of the, some of these guys that we hadn't seen a lot of before, you know, Jordan Willis, I thought Jordan Willis Mm -hmm. looked pretty good. Um, you know, he did. I'm not out here saying he looked like Superman, but you're watching him and thinking, all right, this guy looks like he can play. You know, he's not out of place. He's not, he's from overwhelmed. I thought he held his own. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Kyle Phillips. He didn't play as well as he has in weeks past, but he's, uh, you know, that the undrafted rookie that I've kind of keep an eye out for every week, because let's face it, Leonard Williams has not been very good. And I think Kyle Phillips could be a guy that, uh, that sees more reps as they rotate guys out. If Leo finds himself on the bench at all. Um, I mean, Leo, I don't know. I mean, what do you do with that guy? If, if you're Adam Gase right now, I mean, the thing is, I mean, here's the problem with Leo, Alex, is that he's just, he's not living up to the hype. He's still not, it's not that he's a bad football player, but when he does make a bad play, when he does have a bad week, it gets magnified because he was the sixth pick. When he has a good game, nobody cares because they're like, who gives a damn? You're supposed to be good. You were the sixth pick. You're supposed to be dynamic. So he's never going to live up to that sixth overall pick potential. And it's only he's only really going to get noticed when he has a bad game. When he has a good game, nobody cares. And but I, I will say though, in, his, in Leo's defense, because um, I've done this a couple times out of curiosity, if you go back and look at that draft class, that whole first round is garbage. There's like three good players who came out of that first round. Yep. One of them, Brandon Scherf, um, um, Todd Gurley, and Leo. That's it. The rest of that first round, unless I'm mistaken is a lot of garbage. So, 
it's again, he's not he's not the player you hoped he would be. But really, it boils down to him or Gurley. Those were the two players that turned out to be good players. Um, and yes, of course, at this point, you'd rather have Gurley. But there's also a fair number of people who subscribe to the belief that you don't use first round picks on running backs. But that that's an entirely different discussion, argument, debate, whatever you want to call it. But uh, who stood out to you, Alex? And I mean, listen, there was enough bad in that Eagles game to uh, to last an entire offseason of conversations. But who who do you think, other than the guys I already mentioned, who stood out? I mean, Jordan 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 Willis is really the the one guy who, who jumped out in terms of exceeding expectations. But who do you feel like? Who do you feel played well? And uh, basically, go, it goes unnoticed because they were so bad collectively. But I, I felt like there were some some quality efforts. Uh, well, here's what's interesting: as I I kind of feel that on a defensive standpoint, Greg Williams called some really really aggressive plays that expose certain players, and no one will talk about that because everything's just the focus of on the offense uh, these days. Um, you know, there there was times where I saw Neville Hewitt uh, lined up out out in space, covering over slot receivers. Now, majority of the time, which is something you have to pay attention to, is that the Eagles are very very crafty with the way that they use their tight ends. They like to flex them out, put them in motion, move them around, two tight end sets, three tight end sets. But the way that these, this guy Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz plays, they play like jumbo wide receivers. So I understand when you're playing the matchup game, that's kind of where his duties fall. And here's the, you know, and this goes back to mismanagement from the front office going way back before Douglas and Gase not addressing the edge position. We're constantly trying to put Jamal Adams in a position where he comes into the tackle box and has to try to apply pressure on the quarterback. Now I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not good at that, but there are there were plays where he's coming in, taking on you know interior guards and tackles, um, and, and trying to work through you know running back blocks, and guys are getting beat in coverage, and that's where he should be, in my opinion. Um, you saw in a couple of the plays where he was covering Ertz, and he defended him and and blanketed him, you know just like the phenomenal defensive player that he is. So that really frustrated me to see Devil Hewitt kind of being put out in space. And a lot of people said, oh, he had a trash game and everything like that. And if you go back and look at it outside of a couple of receptions that he let up against one of the most elite tight ends in the game, Zach Ertz, um, you know, he put pressure on the quarterback. Um, he blitz. He's a very good interior blitzer. If you, if you notice the way that Neville Hewitt attacks the, the inside pocket. Um, he did create some pressure on, on Wentz, and you have to tip your cap to him because there were times where Daryl Roberts almost had a sack and he got rid of the ball. Hewitt almost had him, he got rid of the ball. Um, there were times where Leonard Williams had hands on Wentz and he was able to, to, to evade. Um, and there was, you know, if McClendon beat Leonard Williams to that sack, and I think we only had maybe one sack in the game, but that could have been split as a, as a half sack between the two of them. And, you know, people don't notice that when we're running two defensive linemen with, it's kind of hard to say because guys like Kyle Phillips can be considered a defensive end and an outside linebacker. Um, but the way that they've been using these four-man these four front formations, 
a lot of the times players like McClendon and Leonard Williams have to take two, three offensive linemen on in a, in a stunt in order to create lanes for the blitzing linebackers or the safeties that they try to use. So, you know, Leonard Williams may not be a, a playmaker that fills up the stat sheet and then people who don't pay attention to the game look at the, the stat lines and say, oh, he did nothing for, for four quarters. Look at this. Um, he's, a, he's a playmaking catalyst. He creates plays for other people and people that don't understand football, you know, in, as much as we immerse ourselves into this, this team and this sport, um, he's a catalyst for a lot of the good things that happen on this team. And, and those are the things that don't show up on the stat line. And those are the things that he doesn't get credit for after, after the game on Sunday. Is there a lot more to be desired with Leonard Williams? A hundred percent. But the little things that he does that are so important people will never uh, see or give him credit for. Um, if you want to go take a look at something that um, I, I saw the other day, um, Adam Gase has been doing this um, breakdowns on YouTube off of the Jets uh, channel. And he was talking about Leonard Williams and how much he loves having him on his team um, with the little things that he does. So I entice anybody to go to the Jets YouTube channel and check out some of the film breakdowns that Gase has done over the last couple of weeks. Um, really good insight from, from a football mind. Um, but a couple of players that stood out, uh, Jordan Willis was definitely one of them. Um, hopefully we have something there. Uh, I did like the way that Kyle Phillips handled himself. Uh, definitely a versatile guy. Um, don't really want to see him out in space in zone coverage or in man-to-man coverage. Um, I think there was one play where he was going up against one of, I I don't remember which running back it was, but he he got beat down the sideline pretty bad. So as far as, you know, a first and second down player with Kyle Phillips, somebody that can support the run and and, and create some pressure in the pocket, I I definitely have come away impressed with uh, what Kyle Phillips has done thus far and, being that he's a rookie, um, there's definitely a lot of potential for a player like that. And God knows we need uh, players to emerge and grow up and, and, and be contributors as soon as possible. Um, kind of kind of tough to, to pick anyone else out when you when you lose 31 to six. Um, but I, I did feel that Neville Hewitt had a good game outside of a couple receptions that he let up and. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, Blake Cashman um, has done pretty pretty well, um, getting moved around a lot, playing inside as an inside linebacker, playing as an outside linebacker as well. I don't think that he's made for outside linebacker, um, you know, starting role, but given what, what we have and the fact that, uh, you know, Luvu has been – working through some nagging injuries and Jordan Jenkins um, hasn't played since the Cleveland game with a calf injury. You have Copeland on suspension. Um, There's just a lot of factors um, at the outside linebacker position. So uh, I tip my cap for Greg Williams, giving everybody the opportunity to try to to do something at that position. It's just uh, unfortunate that we're kind of taking players out of their normal position. spots and, and trying to see what they can do because um, there was some plays where Cashman did get a little exposed and, and, and washed out of the play because it, it's hard. He's an undersized linebacker taking on less than right tackles at sometimes, and that's just not going to work. 
So, um, but uh, we're getting Copeland back. Um, Jordan Jenkins was limited in practice today, so hopefully, I don't know if he's going to play this weekend, but you know, hopefully by next week, um, Jordan Jenkins is back in the fold. That's actually uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you, Alex, since you mentioned Brandon Copeland. What do you think they do? Who goes? They're going to have to, you know, they have the roster exemption for the moment to get mm-hmm. him, you know, get him practicing. But if you're the Jets, if you're if you're Joe Douglas, who goes from this roster? I mean, there are there are some positions where obviously they they might have one or two more players than you would expect, and there are some guys like this is related but unrelated, like why are we still not seeing Ty Montgomery get a football in his hands from time to time? Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's going to be the guy that goes, but if you're, ter- if you're talking in terms of guys who actually see the field and get, get utilized, he'd be a candidate. But, but what do you do if you have to let some, I mean, you do, you have to let somebody go. Who do you think goes in order to make room for uh, Copeland? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I think Harvey Lange has, has had his numbers reduced I think he had four reps last week. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have the snap counts right in front of me right now, but I did look earlier, and he didn't get a lot of snaps at all. And He had seven. There was an inside linebacker. Okay, so he had seven snaps last week. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, there was a player that made a play late in preseason that ended up earning a spot that I thought James Burgess was going to get, and that's Albert um, Clellan. I don't think he's had a single rep all year. And I'm just wondering how he's retained a roster spot with all the different packages and personnel that we've seen. This guy's yet to get on the field. And I'm just very curious on what specifically he has done to maintain a role on this team. I mean, we just waived Bronson Kafusi. Thank God he made it to the practice squad because we know now that with Henry Anderson's situation, we might need more depth for somebody to play uh, interior defensive end or defensive tackle. And I think Bafusi definitely fits that, that mold. So I think Albert McClellan might be a player that, that might end up, uh, you know, seeing himself waived or, uh, you know, possibly a Harvey Lange um, might be another uh, culprit that ends up getting, getting waived here. Uh, because we're getting some some legit starters back now, so those would be the two guys that I would keep an eye on that that maybe end up seeing themselves walking on the street once the exemption um, has been removed for the Jets. I think Langy is the guy that uh, that was the first name I thought of when I was wondering who could be let go, and I think that yeah, you know, seeing his snaps reduce uh, reduced last week, but like I said, it's seven seven snaps against Philly. Uh, and, and, you know, Copeland's a guy who isn't, uh, you know, far from an elite pass rusher, but one of the better guys the Jets have. So I would think that there would be a, you know, I think we're going to see him on the field quite a bit. There was some, some questions that I was asking. I saw some beat writers, you know, late in the preseason before we knew he had a suspension coming. We thought he was a guy who was going to get cut. He was like, what well, you don't normally play your veterans in the fourth quarter of a preseason game. And I think that was a matter of the Jets saying, let's just get him a ton of reps because he's going to have the next month off anyway. And so that's why uh, I think that's why he's he sticks around. And it's going to be it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be interesting what what Greg Williams does here because he's got to find a way to get pressure. 
and if Jenkins is out and uh, and he's getting Copeland back, then that's a guy who got to the quarterback a little bit last year, and he, and he limited reps too. That was the big thing. Like you know, Copeland's numbers obviously, you know, it's not like he went out there and, and had a million sacks, but if you look at his his total reps, his his snaps per or his his sacks per snap were actually not that bad, um, better than a lot of guys who are regarded higher than I'm trying to remember who it was. It was a free agent outside linebacker that a lot of Jets fans were like, get this guy, get this guy. Uh. And I looked at him and I thought, well, he's, if Brandon Copeland had one, maybe one fewer sack or one less sack and like several hundred fewer reps. So he had, yeah, 357 reps last year, which, you know, for that, that's, that's a part-time player. It's about half of what a, a full-time guy gets. And he had five sacks. I think he may have actually had five and a half. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I think he's a guy that we're going to see him get heavily involved. And it's something they're going to have to do. And, of course, guy I mentioned earlier, Quinnen Williams. Like, now that he's getting his feet wet a little bit, and now that ideally he uh, he won't be fa- – well, he won't be facing Kelsey uh, this week, which is, which is a good thing because that guy's a, that's a beast. So maybe the Jets find a way this week. I mean, listen – Without Sam Darnold, they had zero chance of beating anybody. But now Sam Darnold back in the fold, what do you think the Jets' chances are this week against the Dallas Cowboys? Do you think that it's realistic they can pull off a win here, or is it just a just a pipe dream? Um, uh, you know, I hate to be a Debbie Downer. I'm not as confident um, because you know, I Sam's got to get a little bit of the rust off. Uh, yes, he was able to practice last week and be with the team. So this will be his second week working with the team. Um, he, he hasn't taken on any contact. So we're going to see what kind of durability the young man has. Uh, you know, there was and, – and maybe it's because of the sickness. Uh, Sam Darnold did not look like himself week one. Um, now, we know about the off-schedule plays and being – uh, uncannily uh, accurate on, on, you know, off script plays and, and things like that. But you, you saw the way that he was overthrowing and underthrowing Robbie Anderson on particular plays in which he was open. It's just that Sam wasn't himself. So, you know, hopefully that was just because of the, the mono situation. Uh, so, so Sam's going to have to go out there. Um, and, and unfortunately it's going to be a lot of pressure. Um, we're going up a pretty, against a pretty good defense. Uh, we might get lucky and, and have a couple of their players uh, not not active. Um, I know Demarcus Lawrence is out there, so that, that that's going to be a little scary. Uh, but you know, I think Leighton Vanderesh is working through some things right now, and and I think the guy Jalen Smith, their linebacker, is a little banged up at the moment. So. You know, every team has got injuries at this point. You know, not everybody's at 100%. So, you know, what kind of team is going to show up? Is it going to be the Cowboys or the Cowgirls? Um, if the Cowgirls show up, yes, there's an opportunity for the Jets to, to squeak out a win here. Um, but if, if this – if we come out and we don't play with energy, um, if we don't keep this game reasonable um, going into the fourth quarter – and we let things slip away early on like we have the last couple of weeks, it's it's going to be another rough Sunday. So, you know, a lot of things are going to have to fall into place. A little bit of a lady luck's going to have to hit our team 
in order to, to pull a win this week. But um, having Darnold in the mix should absolutely uh, give a little life and a little spark and hopefully some energy um, to this offense. I know Robbie Anderson's probably ecstatic that he's got his guy back and, and Crowder as well. Um, I know Le'Veon Bell spoke highly about him in, in a couple interviews this week. So, you know, hopefully this positivity um, and the Sam Darnold effect will be enough to finally break this losing streak. Um, that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Um, but if I can pivot real quick, I want to talk about another position group um, that I was talking about today on Twitter uh, because there's another um, positional group that's a little bit crowded at the moment now that Chris Herndon's come back. Um, we've been rolling with Ryan Griffin, Daniel Brown, and Trayvon Wesco. Uh, Wesco, I believe, uh, saw his most snaps this weekend, uh, but in the short time that he was in there, he did let up a sack. He looked a little frustrated, but who's the odd man out in, in your opinion? I think Ryan Griffin's safe, um, and obviously Herndon's health this weekend is going to probably keep either Wesco or Brown on this roster for another week. But if you had to make a cut at the tight end position, who would it be, Glenn? Well, I'm actually I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Griffin. He he is safe, um, but he kind of becomes a, a factor again now if Herndon can't go. Uh, this is, this is a, a, a brief segue. I, I don't. Well, again, when we talked about Luke Falk, perhaps that is just the, the, the what this all boils down to. But uh, through four games so far this season, Griffin's got 17 yards receiving. I mean, he's, he's not Antonio Gates, but, you know, he had 300 yards last year. He had 440 two years before that. Uh, he had a down year, had some injury. He, he only played seven games in uh, 2017. He had 158 yards. But 2016, 442 yards. Last year, 305 yards. This year, he's on pace for about 80 yards. So it's like, you know, again, he, he's not, uh, he, he's not a, a, an elite player by any stretch, but he can certainly be asked to do more than what he has so far to this point. But in terms of which tight end I think will go, you know, what, Wesco is interesting because he hasn't done a whole lot, but he hasn't had a chance to do a whole lot. Daniel Brown, I would almost think Daniel Brown because he's – and I, I'm not – I think Daniel Brown's another guy who could do a little bit more if given a chance, but he's not the blocker that Wesco is or that Wesco will hopefully become, I should say. Mm-hmm. So I think Brown goes and Griffin stays, but would anyone be shocked if these guys cut another Mike McCagnan pick um, just to kind of make my a fear. point? <laughs> yeah, just, just to make fear. a point and say, you know, we're we're so – unhappy with the guys this guy drafted where we're willing to cut them after four or five games. So it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me, but if, but if I had to guess, I would say it's Brown. And as far as making room for, uh, for Herndon or for, for Copeland, like I said, I think that's Lange. So Lange and Brown are the two guys I would, I would predict. But, um, who was it you, you said when you were talking about, uh, when you were talking about Copeland, you mentioned. Well, I'm assuming. Did you say Albert McClellan? Is that who you were talking about? Yeah, that that's the the interesting man in the middle that has not yeah, played I mean, a single he's, snap he's, all year. Um, 
Yeah, I'm just wondering. You yeah, know, he's, I mean, he's 33 he years old. <laughs> you know, he's, he's 33. It's not like he's got a future, a long-term future with them. So it's uh, maybe he's the guy that goes. I'm I'm always curious yeah. about those guys who who hang around and never see the field, and while other younger guys, you know, get let go. So it's uh, it you know, again some decisions to be made in the coming days, but I think the uh, the biggest one is going to be and not even a decision. Obviously, the the docs will make that decision, but Herndon, you hope he comes you hope he comes back healthy and and bounces back is you know sooner it sounds like he will be but that's uh that may not be that may not be i i, I don't think it'll be the case i think they're going to be without herndon and i think they're going to have a tough matchup but um let's uh let's wrap this up alex with our our studs and duds from the philly game i know we talked about guys who we thought did well but uh let, let's go ahead and, and knock this one out i don't know do you want to go first you want me to go first uh, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the duds here. Um, I'm going to have to go, uh, there's going to be a couple on the offensive line here that I'm going to go with. Uh, Brian Winters is one of my duds. I'm going to go with Calvin Beecham as another, and then I'm going to have to go with Luke Falk, um, as the top dud of the week. Um, I think he, you know, for, for someone that's been in year two of the gay system, uh, you have not shown that, that you understand this, this offense in any capacity. Um, your pocket awareness needs work. Your uh, pocket mobility needs work. And, uh, you know, like how they, they do those drills where they, they, they roll the giant ball to force the guy to, to go on the run and move out the pocket and then keep his eyes downfield and make a throw. Uh, I think he's got to spend uh, the, the entire year working on, on, on how to keep his eyes downfield to, to look for open guys and, and create off script. So uh, a lot of work that Luke Falk needs to do if he wants to see himself in, in any sort of a practice squad role or a backup role for his career. Um, unfortunately, what we've seen the last few weeks, his days may be numbered um, as a NFL quarterback. Um, my studs, uh, I'm going to have to go with Le'Veon Bell is my number one for sure. This guy it leaves everything all out in the field. Um, that's for sure. Um, I'll have to go with, uh, let's get Vincent Smith. Um, the guy that got plucked off the street, let's put him in because you were the only guy that scored a touchdown in recent weeks. And uh, give him credit. Uh, guy played seven snaps um, throughout the game and, and found the end zone. Um, pretty pretty interesting trick play that Adam Gase called. Um, no one's giving him credit for that. I was pretty thrown off by that call. Um, kind of wondering where that play has been because there's definitely some other guys I feel that could have done what he did. Um but uh, good job, Vincent Smith. Um, hopefully you can progress and, and, and be something for this offense down the line. And uh, lastly, I guess I'll have to go with uh, – I'm going to give it to, to Steve McClendon. Um, I think he played a really, really good game, um, made, made some plays in the backfield, created some pressure, got a sack. Um, guy's a leader. 
Um, I wish he was five years younger and could stay with this whole regime. Uh, but, you know, for a guy that's 33 years old, he sure doesn't look like it. And, uh, you know, hopefully his energy, his mentality continues to keep a positive role within this, this locker room. Yeah, I think um... – I think it looks like we've got the same three duds, Alex. I mean, I think it was I think it was pretty obvious. Buck was obviously a disaster. He's he's the biggest dud of the group. I would have Winters behind him and Beecham behind him. Just uh, not not a great performance from the O line. Chuma Adoga didn't play great either, but he's a rookie. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick on him over the veterans who who played pretty poorly themselves. So that was uh that was ugly. All, all of the uh, all the studs, at least for me anyway, well, two of the three, I should say, um, are on defense. I'm going to go uh, Jamal Adams, I thought, was just flying all over the place. I, I'm really torn on Adams. I'm generally, and I try not to be such a homer that I give my favorite team's players a pass for something I would criticize another team's players for. Um, I don't love the over-the-top, like, boisterous celebrations when you're getting your ass kicked. Like, I think mm. when you're down three, four touchdowns, you just make plays and go back to the huddle and just, like, it, it, it seems silly to me. But I really do think with a guy like Jamal Adams, like, I think he's, he's just that intense. Like, he, if he's down by 50, he's still going to try to knock you out. And if he gets a big hit, he's going to jump up and celebrate. It looks dumb. Oh, yeah. And I tweeted something out. I saw other people, some other people tweeted like, "Hey, maybe maybe dial back the celebrations when you're down twenty-one nothing." But yeah. I don't think it's a great look. But the guy's just so damn intense. Like, and that's part of what makes him as good as he is. So it would be kind of hypocritical to say that intensity is part of what makes you an all-pro type player. But but dial it back and don't be as intense. Maybe with maybe with age, with years, he'll kind of realize, you know, maybe we shouldn't be celebrating like we just won something. Um, when the other team is kicking our face in. Um, uh, another guy that I wanted to highlight, well, it's really been up and down for him, um, Daryl Roberts. He gave up some catches. He gave up, uh, mm-hmm. he gave up four or five catches, but he, no plays. Like, limited, limited the, the opposing receivers to less than seven yards a catch. Coverage was solid, but he was, he was really bad the week before. He was pretty good the week before that. He was really bad the week before that. So it's just been good week, bad week, good week, bad week for him. But, uh, you know, credit where it's due there. And I'm going, uh, number one, as much as I want to go Steve McClendon, you know what a, a big fan I am of his, I got to give Alex Lewis credit. First game as a Jet, for you know, first start of the year. And I didn't want to jinx it, and I didn't know, you know, sometimes there's so much going on during the game. Sometimes you miss a play here and there. But at one point I'm watching that game, and I was thinking, I think Alex Lewis is the only guy who, on the O-line who's, I haven't seen him get his ass kicked today. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something I missed. But uh, that's why I was curious to see what his total numbers look like in terms of pressures allowed and, and how he graded out. And he turned out to, you know, had himself a, a hell of a day, 82.5 or whatever it was. So really, really solid day for Alex Lewis. And, man, could they use somebody like that on that O-line? I mean, he's not going to give you that every week. But if he can just be good, you know, above-average type player, and, you know, like we, as we discussed, if you have to move some guys around just to get some quality players on that O-line and make life easier on Sam Darnold, then absolutely go ahead and do it. So before we go, Alex, give us a real quick prediction. Jets, and I nearly said Jets, Dolphins. I wish. Jets, Dallas. <laughs> Jets, Dallas. What, what do you got? What's your score? 
I think this is going to be a little bit closer than we anticipate. Um, I think we are going to fall a little bit short, but we're going to find the end zone a couple times. And I think this is going to be like one of those odd scenarios where, you know, are we going to be competitive in the fourth quarter? And and if it's close to where we're like a a 2017 situation, you know, I can see this getting away from us in a 23-17 loss. Um, But let's just hope the luck changes. You know, we're getting to the point to where, you know, my father used to say this, teams that go, don't win games and everything like that, they get angry, they get frustrated, and they play like, you know, there is no tomorrow. And and then you get that saying where this team is due, you know, and and then, you know, they they upset the Vegas books and stuff like that. So this team is due for a win. Um, I'm not going to not say that. Um, I don't know if this is going to be the week. I'm hoping it is. But at this point in time, I think we, we still have a long way to go as far as developing chemistry, getting healthy and, and, and setting the course back to where, you know, we want things to be. So I think this week we take a step, we fall a little short, but I think we are going to see some more positive things happen this Sunday that we haven't seen in recent weeks. Yeah, I really, you know, I was I was really tempted to pick the Jets to win this one, and I probably would have if Chris Herndon were, was going to be healthy. But knowing that oh, Herndon's yeah. out, it's going to make life a little tougher. And, you know, there is the part of me that, that, that you know, the, the desperation factor. I mean, the Jets are going to want this game so bad. And the defense, I think, is going to be really fired up to know that. And that, that was one thing I really appreciated, especially in that Philly game. That defense played their asses off. Scoreboard said 31 nothing, but, you know, two of those touchdowns came on turnovers. You know, pick six yep. and, a, and a, 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 a sack and scoop. I nearly said strip and scoop. You know, strip sack. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> oh, that was ridiculous. It was, it was so Jetsy. Um, but yeah, that defense knowing, I mean, that defense is out there. They, they're watching Luke Falk and they know this offense. We're not scoring today on offense. We're not scoring. And they still busted their asses and went out there and played hard. Um, so the part of me thinks they're going to look at this and say, Hey, if we play our asses off today, we, we might, we might come away from this one with a couple touchdowns. Like we got a shot to, to get a damn win. So I think that, you know, gives the Jets a shot. I think the defense is going to be fired up. I think the offense is going to be better. But without Herndon, and, and Dak's been pretty bad the last couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's what I'm without, looking for. That Dallas team that played last week shows up again this week. I, that'll be the only chance that they get. Yeah, exactly. So I would say that um, I'm, I'm going to say Dallas, and, and I hate to, I was going to say like 24-20 Jets. But I'm going to say 21-17, 20-17, somewhere in there. Cowboys beat the Jets. And uh, if if by some miracle Chris Herndon's ready to roll, then, yeah, I'm taking the Jets. But I think Dallas – I think this is nine and a half. I might, be, I might be taking the Jets on the points this week. So that wraps things up for us. Thanks so much for tuning in to Jet Nation Radio. Hopefully we are back next week talking about a win. I think I like this Wednesday thing, Alex. I think I like it because – the, the first injury report comes out, so you have a little more to, to discuss instead of guessing who might be what. So uh, we, mm-hmm. might, we might get around the idea of making this a Wednesday evening affair. But at the moment, we will uh, we'll expect to be Tuesday, and we will catch you next week. Thank you so much for Jets fan, to Jets fans for tuning in.
Have a good night, Jet Nation. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!